So this morning, my plan was I've been working on this introduction to Aristotle, my second favorite philosopher, and um, this was my plan for the day, was to have a nice coffee, uh, sit in a sunny room and study the works of the great master and figure out how to translate him to uh, the modern world. And uh, then, um, well, the alerts went off, and I'm sure that you have heard the news, and so, of course, I have to parachute down from my ivory tower and walk among the marketplace and bring truth to a desperate world. The interruption in my day is, of course, much less than the interruption in the day of Brussels and Europe and Western civilization. Multiple blasts today rocked Brussels. There were two explosions at the departure hall of the city airport and another blast at a subway or metro station in town. Now, these explosions occurred days after one of the um, suspects in the Paris terrorist attacks was arrested, so I imagine that this is retribution, which means that we can go after these people and then we can be guaranteed another bladed boomerang blowback that is going to come from them. The death count so far is less than it was in Paris. So far, 34 people are reported to have been killed. And, of course, there are dozens more injured. Now, in the online view, shockingly, they're blurring out the bodies. Now, maybe that's because they haven't been identified yet. Maybe that's because relatives haven't been notified. It's an odd thing when you think about it. Why blur out the bodies when this is exactly what a significant proportion of Europeans have asked for. Now, how did this all start? Well, it's lots of complicated stuff. American destruction of uh, countries in the Middle East and um, Greece, of course, not exactly a victim of the migrant crisis. In March 2015, Greece threatened to unleash, quote, wave of millions of economic migrants and jihadists end quote, on Europe, unless the Eurozone, of course, backed down on requesting or requiring that Greece stop spending money like a drunken sailor. And um, any kind of restriction or restraint on Greek massive overspending, they threatened to use the bioweapon of North African Muslims, a bioweapon. Greece at that time was struggling to convince the Eurozone and the International Monetary Fund to continue to pay a £172 billion bailout on Greek finances. Uh, Without this funding, Greece felt it would go bankrupt and um, maybe they would lose the EU's, uh, they're joining in the EU's single currency and so on. Of course, Greece has a border with Turkey. That's the European Union's front line against the illegal uh, immigration of uh, largely Muslims. And, of course, the Europeans use that Greek border and the enforcement on the Greek side of the Greek border to stop extremists going back and forth from the Islamic State of Iraq and the Levant, ISIS, and their bases in Syria and Iraq. So Panos Kamenos, the Greek defense minister, said, hey, if the Eurozone allows Europe, uh, Greece sorry, to go bust, eh, we're just going to give EU travel papers to illegal immigrants crossing its borders or to, at the then-time, 10,000 held in detention centers. He said, if they deal a a blow to Greece, then they should know that the migrants will get papers to go to Berlin. 
If Europe, he said, leaves us in the crisis, we will flood it with migrants. And it will be even worse for Berlin if in that wave of millions of economic migrants there will be some jihadists of the Islamic State too. Yeah. Great job, Greece. Instead of uh, continuing to bribe everyone with stolen money, you uh, decided to uh, import and export the bioweapon of North African migrants. Beware Greeks bearing almost anything these days. Of course, the US, the EU has a passport-free Schengen zone, and uh, this, of course, leaves all of the European countries vulnerable. He said, if they strike us, we will strike them. We will give to migrants from everywhere the documents they need to travel in the Schengen area so that the human wave could go straight to Berlin. Nikos Kotsias, the Greek foreign minister, also told a meeting of his friends and colleagues in the European Union that if Greece was forced out of the euro, quote, there will be tens of millions of immigrants and thousands of jihadists. Now, of course, I don't have any capacity to judge these North African Muslims, mostly Muslims. I tend to judge people by how their friends judge them. And um, I think we can see, based on what's happened in Brussels, why it was that the surrounding Islamic countries did not want these people to travel within their borders and come to their countries. Now, this, of course, is going to continue. Um, I predicted this years ago, and um, as a moral philosopher, the worst thing you ever want to be is right. Like a doctor who's saying to someone who overeats and smokes too much, yeah, you're going to get lung cancer and diabetes, you really should stop. You're going to get lung cancer and diabetes, you really should stop. And then the person gets lung cancer and diabetes, and you hate being right. You hate being right. Now, the rumblings, of course, are already occurring across the mainstream media that somehow the Europeans are to blame for this latest attack in Brussels. CNN is saying that, uh, you see, the problem is, you see, Brussels just hasn't made the migrants feel welcome. And so this is why dozens of people who live in Brussels had to be disassembled with high explosives. You know, like if someone moves in next door and you just never quite get round to giving them a welcome basket, they can blow up your house! Are you people insane? They give billions and billions and billions of dollars to these migrants. They've given them a home away from war. They've given them their own no-go zones. They've allowed Sharia courts to be set up in direct violation to the Anglo-Saxon common law tradition. But you see, they've just not made them feel welcome enough. It's a little tough to hug someone in an explosive goddamn jacket. And this call for more appeasement. This is the choice that Europe is facing now, and it is not the first choice. It's not the first choice that anybody ever wants to have, and it's not the first time Europe has had this choice, and it's probably not going to be the last because people just have a tough time listening to philosophers. You can 
continue to bribe and appease those ideologically committed to your destruction and subjugation. Islam does not mean peace. It means subjugation. So you have a choice. You can say, oh, it's our fault we were blown up. Here, here's some more money. And, and, and is there anything else that you would like? Would you like us to, I don't know, legalize honor killings and anything you like? Please, just, just be nice to us. <clears throat> well, how's that worked out for you so far? How did that work out throughout the 1930s with Hitler? Not particularly well. So you have a choice. You can continue down the road and path of bribery and appeasement, hoping, as Churchill said, that appeasement means that you hope the crocodile will eat you last. Or you can take decisive action. Now, I'm not a big one for telling people what to do, but I have a solution. It is a peaceful solution, and I guarantee not only will it make Europe better, it will solve this whole problem very peacefully. Are you interested? Hang tight. We'll get there. Got a few things to talk about first. So, Islam has been waging imperialistic wars for almost 1,500 years. It has waged imperialistic wars against hundreds of nations over millions and millions of square miles, significantly larger even than the British Empire at its time of greatest expansion. This Muslim imperialist lust stretched from the south of France all the way to the Philippines, from Austria to Nigeria, from Central Asia to New Guinea. It is conforms to the classic definition of imperialism, quote, the policy and practice of seeking to dominate the economic and political affairs of weaker countries. Now, you've probably heard just a little bit about white imperialism. Ooh, that was so bad, even though I've got uh, the truth about imperialism on this channel. A lot of benefits to the native population from white imperialism. See, white imperialism, bad and evil, and you must hang your pasty heads in shame for what your ancestors did. Brown imperialism, what, what, what brown imperialism? Ha, 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 doesn't exist, doesn't exist. Ah, the anti-white racism that currently infects the world like a brain plague. Now, in... Um, Islam, and, and you don't want to think of Islam just as a religion. It's not. Um, religion is an imperialistic conquest commandment with some religious elements. Like in the same way, you don't want to just view communism as an economic system because communism is a world domination system with staunchly totalitarian elements. Now, in the communist system, the totalitarian elements are secular and it views religion as a competitor which must be laid waste in order to be able to expand the secular state, but enough about the left as a whole. Whereas in Islam, the totalitarianism is theological, or at least that's the cover. It's the lust for power, whether you put it in economic terms or theological terms, it is the same. Uh, in Islam, there is something called hurrah, which is invasion and conquest by immigration. You go to other countries and you breed like rabbits. Now, that works badly enough when there's no welfare state. When there is a welfare state, what happens is resources are transferred from those who can see around the corner to the next couple of years and say, well, you know, it's going to be tough to have kids. My taxes are so high, national debt, and oh, environmentalism. <laughs> and um, resources are transferred from the native population 
to the um, migrant population, and they have kids uh, extra fast. It's uh, basically like giving Prozac. Uh, sorry, it's basically like giving um, you know blue pill Viagra to rabbits and uh, wondering why you seem to have a lot of rabbits. Now, one of the ways in which the sexual terrorism occurs is called taharush. And this is a game uh, wherein, uh, you know, the, the Arab men are surround, uh, corner and rape the victims. It happened to Lara Logan in Egypt when she was covering the Arab Spring, as in Arabs will spring on you and beat you with a flagpole. And, um, <laughs> and it was tough for a tougher lot of secular nihilists and, and valueless atheists to figure this out. But let me tell you, my friends, thoughts, beliefs, values, virtues, philosophy, what you believe, how you view the world actually has consequences in the world. For a lot of people who have no beliefs, who just live hedonistically, they can't understand that. But if you worship somebody who's a pedophile, you can't really morally object to pedophilia. That kind of is how things work in the brain. And of course, uh, to the lazy-ass secular West that seems to prefer uh, the postponement of any difficult decisions till tomorrow, uh, because, I don't know, overfed, overpampered laziness uh, seems to be the current addiction, you know, that the Cultures, civilizations, they rise in hobnail boots and they descend in silk slippers. Um, that's what's going on. Because men used to understand this, and women have been to some degree shielded from war. You know, women got the vote, but they didn't really get taxed very much, and they certainly didn't get themselves subjected to the draft, which means that their political considerations are just a little bit different, to put it mildly, than men's. But men used to understand this, that small preemptive violence prevents large destructive violence. Uh, as Hitler said, if uh, the Allies had opposed him entering into Alsace-Lorraine or the Rhineland, then his government would have collapsed and the 40 million deaths and uh, wholesale destruction of Western civilization that occurred in the Second World War would have been prevented. You cut off the fingertip that's gangrenous in order to save the body. Otherwise, you have to cut off the hand or the arm or just end the person's life humanely because you are pre not preventing the spread of the deadly infection. So men, historically, I'm not necessarily talking about the overpampered metrosexuals passing for men these days in a lot of places, but men understand that you use small violence, prevent a violence to prevent large violence. So when the migrants came sailing across the Mediterranean, the government could have turned them back. You don't have to machine gun them. It's not saving Private Ryan. It is turning them back. This is what Australia does. Australia, basically, if you sail a ship to Australia, they'll put you on a bat guano island for a couple of years, maybe shove you in a det detention center or two and then send you back. Decisive action was necessary in order to prevent what is going on now. Now, if the migrants had continued to come <clears throat> and if they had attempted to overwhelm the, the Navy or the, the police or the border guards, then they would have sh have to shoot over their heads. And if they continued to come, then they would have had to shoot into the crowd. That's called the law. That's called the law. The law is something you're going to enforce by violence using the state. If, I don't think it would have come to that, but if it had come to that, then there would have been a dozen or two dozen bodies, which would have been tragic, but it would have been suicide by cop. You know, if I grab a toy gun and run at a cop and he shoots me, well, that's natural. And if a bunch of people are breaking the laws and invading a country against those countries' wishes and preferences and laws, as I mentioned, then you might have to use violence to prevent them from coming in. And that would have been terrible. 
but that would have been something that the migrants would have chosen through the continued action against the laws of the countries they sought to invade. But if that had been done early enough, it may well have prevented more than 100 Parisians dying at a concert, more than 30 people in Brussels dying in this attack. But you see, again, this is just the, I don't know, anti-white racism that is the current psychotic fever in the world. That many, many white bodies are vastly preferable to the world than a few brown bodies. And that's just the way the world is at the moment. I prefer no bodies at all, but I can't control other people with words. I can only attempt to influence. So do you want the small violence at the beginning, or do you want the large violence later on? Do you want to prevent, or do you want to attempt to cure? Well, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, as the old saying goes. Now it's going to be much, much more difficult. Now, it's important to remember that, of course, the vast majority of Euro- Europeans, I don't know, Switzerland, I guess, significant exception, uh, are legally disarmed. And uh, this, of course, is funny because this is what Muslim countries, uh, when, when Muslims take over a country, what they do is they disarm the Jews and they disarm the Christians and they disarm the Hindus or whoever it is, and they allow the Muslims to have weapons. Uh, fortunately, the European governments have done that for the Muslims before the Muslims even came. But the radical Muslims in Europe have weapons, lots of them, and weapons that even people in America probably couldn't get. So they're very well armed, and they're biding their time. And Europe is largely disarmed, which means that it's going to be a war of ideas. Now, that's actually better, but it requires a sternness of spirit that I'm hoping will awaken in the European spirit. Otherwise, I'm pretty much going to stop doing these speeches and let Europe go down the toilet sink of history because... You, you simply can't save people who are unwilling to rouse themselves, to even expend a calorie of effort to save themselves. Now, here's a basic fact that helps you understand what's going on in the world as a whole. This is not just in Europe, but everyone. Low IQ people do not do well in high IQ countries. Low IQ people do not do well in high IQ countries. Now, IQs on average, or unevenly distributed among ethnicities. And what that means is when low IQ people are in high IQ countries, there tend to be ethnic differences. And what that means is when the low IQ ethnicities do badly in high IQ countries, everybody screams that the high IQ countries are racist, that the only reason the low IQ ethnicities are doing badly is not because of the aforementioned low IQ, but because of the racism of the high IQ population. And I guess... People have been trained against the basic science, and I've had a whole bunch of experts on this show talking about all of the causes and facts of all of this, so we'll link those interviews below. This information has probably been kept from you for reasons uh, that are probably too nasty to get into during this conversation. But the reality is that um, in Islam, uh, you are allowed and, in fact, even encouraged to marry your cousin to marry your cousin. Now, cousin marriages take 8 to 16 IQ points off people as a whole. 8 to 16 IQ points off people as a whole. Now, all of these smart Muslims have mostly left the Muslim countries and come to the West. Who's left behind? I would imagine it's people with an IQ 
averaging around 70 to 85. Now, IQs around 80 are the sweet or deadly spot for high criminality, which is why when a lot of migrants come into Western countries, the crime goes through the roof. I can remember some European country recently deported a bunch of migrants and uh, crime dropped 30%. So you have uh, a low IQ population with a highly aggressive ideology coming into a high IQ country with a pacifist ideology. Now, not all Muslims are like that. I understand that. I get it. I, I, I'm smart. I know. I know. And it doesn't fundamentally matter. First, I don't judge individuals. I judge the ideology. I judge the ideology. And the ideology of Islam is aggressive and expansionist and preaches violence, particularly against non-believers. In fact, it preaches violence against people who were Muslims and decided not to. Like, I was born a Christian and I'm not a Christian anymore. And if I had been born a Muslim and was not a, Christian, a Muslim anymore, I could be put to death. That's not the kind of ideology that encourages critical thinking, free thinking, and so on. So people say, well, not all Muslims are like that. Okay, I get that. And you know what? Sometimes tigers make great pets. They won't eat your children. Maybe a lot of times, I don't know. Ask Siegfried about that. A lot of times tigers will make, maybe wolves will make great pets and be wonderful. Not all wolves are aggressive. But still, I don't see a lot of people with tigers and wolves as pets. Because we're pretty good at knowing the odds. It is not a matter of making people feel welcome. There is no amount of love that can overcome ideological hate. Now, speaking of high IQ societies, well, Asians, East Orientals, uh, Chinese, Japanese, uh, South Koreans, the highest IQ people outside of Ashkenazi Jews on the planet, and China just made huge moves to actually ban Islam. So we could take a cue from the smartest groups on the planet, um, well, and Israel, of course, not taking a whole lot of Muslim migrants. See, Israel gets a wall. America, I don't know. We'll get to that. Europe is not geography. You know, somebody who crosses off a boat from the smoking remnants of Libya to Greece does not suddenly magically get infused with 2,500 years of Greek history, European philosophy, um, it is not a mindset. Mindsets travel within the mind. They do not magically change when you cross from one geographical imaginary line to another. Europe is a set of beliefs. The free market, individual responsibility, property rights, respect for women, science, the subjugation of feelings to reason and evidence in general. Slipped a little lately, but that's the history. And it took a long time to develop those beliefs. And millions and millions of lives were sacrificed in the pursuit and development of those beliefs. Now, Europe had to develop these beliefs, starting with the pre-Socratics over 2,500 years ago and angling up to the current time. And for the past couple of hundred years, Europe has been manifesting these beliefs. It's like in pharmaceuticals. The first pill costs you $100 million to make, the second pill costs you a dollar. Copying something is a lot easier than coming up with it yourself. It's a lot easier to get a color photocopier and photocopy the Mona Lisa than it is to paint it in the first place. 
So other countries, other cultures around the world have the example of European civilization, uh, limited government, free market, science, reason, reason equals virtue equals happiness, the holy trinity of Socrates. Other countries around the world have the example of European civilization and are still unable to replicate it. And what that means is they do not admire European civilization. They do not respect European civilization. They do not respect reason, science, evidence, philosophy, rationality. They do not respect these things because if they did, they would be struggling not to come to Europe but to bring European civilization to their own countries. That is the fact by which you know that they intend to bring their dysfunctional medieval culture to your European continent not to come to Europe and assimilate. You can assimilate by bringing European values to your own country. But if you don't, then they're not coming to Europe to become Europeans. They're coming to Europe to turn Europe into North Africa. The Middle East used to be Christian. Well, I think the last nine Christians are currently being wiped out, and the supposedly Christian nations of the West don't seem to care. Europe is beliefs, and if you replace Europe with other beliefs, Europe is no longer Europe. If you take the entire population of Japan and remove it and bring in the population of Mexico, all you have is Mexico on a tiny island. All it is is beliefs. And when you bring in people with opposing, violent, incompatible beliefs, you will set yourself up for war. Diversity plus proximity equals violence, conflict. January 27th. Donald Trump talked about Brussels, talked about Belgium, and naturally was, knocked, was, was mocked by the New York Times. So he was asked about how is it possible, Dr. Donald Trump, for you to bar foreign Muslims from entering the United States? Mr. Trump said, um, look at Belgium, look at France. They've been blighted by the fact that the Muslims in these countries have not integrated. When it comes to immigration, it's sort of like having a beer. If you have a beer, you're fine. If you have five beers, you're a little dizzy. If you have 10 beers, you're really sick. If you have 50 beers, you're dead. It's all about what your body can handle, and it's all about, like, if you get one Muslim coming into the country, yeah, within a generation or two, they're probably not really going to be that Muslim anymore. If you get 10 Muslims, okay, well, they can have an expat community, and it might last a little bit longer. When you get a million Muslims coming into your country, especially with the welfare state, they absolutely will not integrate in any way, shape, or form. And given that the West is currently continuing to arm and bomb and wage war against Islamic countries, the fact that a million young, and most of them are young military-age men, are coming into the country. (sighs) I don't even know what to say. I'm I'm half and half. Like this morning, when I'm planning on talking about stuff, I'm like, ah, let's talk in a mic. I don't don't know if I even want to work to save these people. Everything they're doing is so retarded that I don't know if it's worth expending a single ounce of eloquence and effort to save Europe. Europe hates Donald Trump. Donald Trump warned Europe months ago about exactly what happened today. 
So he said to this foxy lady, he said, there is something going on, Maria. Go to Brussels, go to Paris, go to different places. There is something going on and it's not good. Where they want Sharia law, where they want this, where they want things that, you know, there has to be some assimilation. There is no assimilation. There is something bad going on. I will put a link to the speech below. He said Brussels was in a particularly dire state. He said, you go to Brussels. I was in Brussels a long time ago, 20 years ago. So beautiful. Everything is so beautiful. It's like living in a hellhole right now. And now it's gone from a hellhole to hell itself. Hillary Clinton, 2015, said, let's be clear. Islam is not our adversary. Muslims are peaceful and tolerant people and have nothing whatsoever to do with terrorism. Are you listening? States that vote today? So here's the fundamental question. And here's where I'm going to make you really uncomfortable. So put your grown-up panties on and listen. Who's responsible? Who is responsible? Is it the leaders? No. The leaders follow the will of the people. In general, in democracy. Or at least if there's enough pushback, they will change their policies. And that's been seen time and time again. So it's all the people who sat on their ass. Maybe complained privately, but didn't do anything publicly. Like I'm doing. They have blood on their hands. The leaders, of course, are making bad decisions. But they're making bad decisions by wet-fingering the politically correct wind and knowing that anyone who says, I don't know, that bringing in a million low-IQ North African Muslim migrants is a particularly good idea, particularly when Greece has basically used them as a bioweapon to shake down the European banks for money. So it's the leaders to a small degree, it's the people to a larger degree. And now I'll get to that in a second. It's probably you. You may have been sent this video by somebody who's trying, been trying to warn you of these dangers for some time. And if you have said, oh, Donald Trump is just this pathetic loser clown. Oh, look, John Oliver, he's so funny. He made hands are small. Like if you've just done stupid, stupid stuff without examining the issues, without thinking about things deeply, without learning anything about the ideology of Islam. If you have just done a whole bunch of stupid stuff, and if you have attacked people, and if you have scorned people, and if you have blocked people, and if you have rejected people, and if you've called them racist and Islamophobic and xenophobic and every other word you don't understand the meaning of. If you have done all of these things, look down. Look at your fucking hands. You have the blood of Belgians on your fingerprints. You are the fascism that is destroying Europe. You are the censorship. You are the petty, horizontal, ant-like attack that brings down the cathedral of freedoms built by the blood of millions in European history. You are the enemy of civilization. When someone says, I'm concerned about Muslim immigration, 
and you immediately think that they're just bad, bigoted, stupid racists, even though Islam is not a race, this is how retarded people are, then it's you who has blood on your hands. Because it is your attack, right? Government doesn't attack you for saying these things in general, I mean, outside of Europe. But it's your attack that the invaders are relying on, that the terrorists are relying on, so that nobody can have a rational discussion. Because when you, you're so conformist and you're, all you're about is virtue signaling. Well, I believe that it's good people who like these people, and I believe it's bad people who have concerns. So I'm going to show everyone just how good I am by attacking the people who I think or I'm told are bad. Have I thought about it? No, I barely have a thought rolling around in my Gucci head. But I am going to attack people because that shows everyone what a good person I am. Yay me. Retarded. Dangerous and retarded. Which is actually an insult to mentally challenged people. When someone has concerns about a destructive, imperialistic, violent, rapey ideology, and all you do is attack them and block them because it makes you feel anxious or you get to preen around and say what a good person you are, then you are taking an axe to the base of the tree that keeps you safe. It's going to fall on you. It's going to fall on you. This moral posturing, virtue signaling, it's an addiction. And it makes you into a coward. And it makes you philosophically complicit in the murders that occurred today. You'll either listen to me and start listening to the people who have concerns and, and, and find some way to manage this petty, electric eel, squid-like discomfort that you have with these topics. You're either going to bear down, grow the hell up, and start listening to people and having a rational discussion about the benefits and dangers of incompatible cultures attempting to merge together. It's like two carpets being pushed together. They don't merge. One has to go on top and one has to go on bottom. That's what happens when you confront an irrational or anti-rational ideology, they can't negotiate with you. They can't reason with you. It is dominate or be dominated, and that's it. And I'm talking about the ideology, not the individuals. You're either going to start listening to people or you're not going to be worth saving. Because I'm willing to expend this energy, willing to take these risks, willing to get these threats. But you have to lift a goddamn finger yourself. I'm willing to be your doctor who's going to get out of bed at 2 a.m., but you have to start eating better and put down the goddamn cigarettes. You have to stop the addiction of virtue signaling and start listening to facts, reason, evidence, and start examining the ideology that you're welcoming with open arms. If you're getting beaten up by your husband and you keep running and crying, and I say, well, you know, the best predictor of future behavior is relevant past behavior. The best predictor of future behavior is relevant past behavior. And just have to look at Islamic imperialism. It's not a mystery where it's going. It's not even remotely a mystery where it's going. And so if your husband has been beating you up for, I don't know, over 1,400 years, and you've traded your punches back with him too, we got the truth about the Crusades on this channel, which you should check out. But if you're the wife 
and you keep going back to the husband who beats you up. At some point, like with any addict, people are going to say, I'm done. I'm done. And you're just going to have to live with the violence that you are now addicted to returning to. And this I want to say to Europeans. And by Europeans, yeah, there's an element of whiteness in it. White Western European culture has developed universality, universal values, which means that Europeans have given up in-group preferences and said, we're going to have preferences for everyone, universals. And universals are great. Listen, I'm a philosopher. I'm European heritage. Um, My ancestors were philosophers uh, and writers. And universalization is great, but it's only great when other people share that value. Most other groups in the world, outside of Europeans, outside of white people, outside of people who have that cultural heritage, have significantly strong and powerful in-group preferences. They provide advantages to their own groups. In-group preferences. Jews do it, Hispanics do it, blacks do it, Asians do it, Muslims do it. So listen, Europeans, you better start having in-group preferences. And yeah, okay, people are going to call you racist. Sticks and stones, you cheap-ass bastards. Sticks and stones, it's just words. Sticks and stones can break your bones, but words will never hurt you. You've got to start having in-group preferences. Prefer your own culture, prefer your own history, prefer your own geography. And everyone else in the world does it. It'd be great if they didn't. But this idea that um, Europeans or Caucasians were given up in-group preferences, I don't know, unilateral disarmament in the hopes that everyone else does, not happening. We can say there's no such thing as tribalism, and that works well if that idea spreads, but it hasn't. And if you don't have any in-group preferences and other people do, they will win every single time. So I said, uh, there's a solution. And there is a solution. And the solution is utterly in accordance with traditional Western values and utterly in accordance with the non-aggression principle, which is thou shalt not initiate force against thy fellow human being. And uh, it's necessary. We've had this experiment in the West for 50 or so years called the welfare state. And the welfare state is when the government violently takes money, which it always does. It's always violence. The government initiates the use of force against peaceful citizens to take money and give it to other people. Now, in the past, uh, churches, communities, charities, groups, you name it, the Legion, would take care of people. Families, extended families, neighbors would take care of people. And it worked very, very well. You can uh, Google friendly societies if you want for how this all used to work. And the government shouldered its way in and said, don't worry, we're going to take care of and solve the problem of poverty. And it created the welfare state, which is the forcible transfer of money from more responsible people to less responsible people. Uh, People say, oh, eugenics is terrible. I agree. And the welfare state is not just eugenics, it's dysgenics. Because smarter people have fewer kids and less intelligent people have more kids. And then people wonder why the IQ in Western nations is dropping. Well, the welfare state plus third world immigration will kind of do that. The welfare state is a weird communistic blip or anomaly in the general history of Western society, wherein it was charity, voluntarism, 
and community that took care of people. Because only people in the family, in the community, in the church can tell the difference between the needy poor who have not caused their own disasters, the deserving poor who need help and deserve help, and the undeserving poor who are just making really bad decisions. And if you give them charity, you're just subsidizing those bad decisions. So you can't tell the poor person who's just had a series of bad accidents and who needs help to get back on their feet from the poor person who's sleeping around, taking a whole bunch of drugs. And if you give them more money, it's just going to make their life worse and the life of the community worse as a whole. Community, proximity, intimacy, knowledge can tell the difference between the deserving poor and the undeserving poor. And with absence of that, all you're doing is funding further disasters, less intelligent people, more kids, worse outcomes. And this is why the welfare state cannot ever solve the problem of poverty, but rather instead creates a permanent underclass of reliable big government voters. And uh, welfare, as we've talked about before, welfare consumption is not exactly evenly distributed across ethnicities. I'd love to not judge ethnicities differently, but first, they have to start acting the same. See, if ethnicities uh, uh, act differently, and I point out that they act differently, that's not any kind of racism. That is, it's not racism to say Chinese people on average are shorter than Northern Europeans. It's not racism. That's a fact. Do you know a tall Chinese person and a short European? Of course you do. But when we're talking about society, we're talking about averages, not individuals. So, The welfare state, as I have argued for over 30 years, is a disastrous mistake. It has terrible outcomes. It has dysgenic outcomes. It is a form of eugenics. And it is a violation of the non-aggression principle. Because you're initiating force for the supposed purpose of charity. But when you initiate force to take property, that's theft, my friends, not charity. Now, Europe can finally confront this violent anomaly in European history and say the welfare state is a violation of our principles of the non-aggression principle. It is destructive in its outcome. And so we need to end the welfare state. Oh, does that sound like a big thing? It's really not. Listen, (laughs) we've become so tiny in our aspirations, in our moral goals. Think big, go big. Oh, we can't end the welfare state. It's been around for 50 years. No. Bullshit. Bullshit. Do you know how long slavery had been around for? Well, forever is the answer. Slavery being around forever was practiced worldwide, and it was inconceivable that a society, any society, could exist in the absence of slavery. Now, when slavery devolved to serfdom, and then serfdom was rescued by uh, capitalism to create urban workers, there was a move towards ending slavery around the world. And that, see... (laughs) Europeans ended slavery, which means white people are the only people who are ever blamed for slavery. Ah, in this world of in-group preferences and irrational attacks, no good deed goes unpunished. Slavery was a worldwide universal human institution for most, almost all of human history, and it was ended. And it was fairly quick to end. You just, you know, so we're talking about a 50-year anomaly which needs to be fixed. Because we all know the facts. The migrants are coming for welfare. Two-thirds of Syrian migrants are functionally illiterate, even in their own language. Low-IQ people cannot succeed very well in a high-IQ society. You know, put low-IQ people in advanced calculus classes, and all you get are doodles and farts. So in the absence of the welfare state, this problem goes away. People self-deport. Oh, that's a big moral goal. Hey, you know what was a big moral goal? 
Equality for women. It was another big moral goal, ending slavery. Another moral goal was ending the aristocracy. These have all been achieved. Think even remotely as big as your ancestors did. Your ancestors thought huge in terms of their moral goals. And they fought hard for decades to bring you the platters of freedom that you're currently feasting on face down in the pig trough without replenishing a goddamn thing of what your ancestors gave you. Why don't want to think big? Oh, yeah? If your ancestors had thought that, you would have nothing that you treasure, nothing that you value. Be to your future as your ancestors were to your present. Think big. Aim big. Go big. And we have to challenge this concept of diversity is a strength. Diversity. In the long run, with irrational and incompatible ideologies, diversity is not a strength. Diversity is only the first syllable.